I'm going to switch uh, scriptures on you this morning. Second um, Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. While you're turning there, let me give those of you who have not been here in a while kind of a recap of where we are. We are doing a series of messages on spiritual warfare. This Wednesday will be the last uh, Wednesday lecture uh, for a while. Uh, it will be about deliverance and exorcism. Um, if you can't come, get a tape. And in many ways, it will complete what we begin this morning. Let me give you several things that we have learned so far so that you can see how this whole thing leads to where we are right now. The first principle that we learned in spiritual warfare is the first principle that we learn in the guidance and instruction of all Christian life. Sola Scriptura. Only Scripture is good for instruction and guidance in everyday living. Our own opinions cannot withstand our own delusions and our own desires. And therefore, we cannot count on our opinion of who God is or how God works. We have to look in Scripture. That's what we depend upon. Now, Scripture tells us many things about spiritual warfare. First thing it tells us is that not everything that goes wrong in our life is spiritual warfare. We have many ways that in the flesh we destroy our own lives, we sabotage our own lives. Satan and his forces are limited. And therefore, they must economize their attack. They must um, um, be careful about how much energy they expend. And if we will destroy our own lives, they will sit and laugh and watch. They will not interfere with us. They will let us go down the tubes. So therefore, there are ways that we can destroy our own lives. We need to repent of those ways. It's just that simple. We need to turn around. And God gives us the wherewithal to do that. Secondly... The Bible does say, though, that there are spiritual forces that are in the universe for our demise. They want to do everything they can to stop the spreading of the kingdom of God. Their tactic is to interfere with our effectiveness, our fruitfulness. And therefore, our counterattack must be to be fruitful, to be uh, what God put us here to be. Uh, John uh, 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, I chose you. You did not choose me, I chose you. That you might go and be fruitful and that your fruit might remain. So therefore, our focus, the purpose of our life, is always to bear fruit for Jesus Christ, to do what God would have us do. However, our attention periodically gets diverted to spiritual warfare in which the, the, the enemy comes and attacks us so that he can render us ineffective. That's his goal to render us ineffective, and to destroy our lives. Next, we learn that uh, even when that happens, God has a leash on the evil one, on all of his forces. There is nothing that can happen in your life if you belong to God, Romans 8, 28. Nothing that God can't make for more good than if that thing had never happened. No matter how miserable it is, God works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Now, if you do not love Him and are called according to your purpose, not everything works for good. As a matter of fact, much works to your destruction. But for those of you who are trying to find the way of God, God has a better way because of what has happened and what He has allowed to happen. And our job is always to look, God, what do you want to come out of this? 
What was your purpose in allowing this to happen? Next, we learn that Satan has certain methods. Methodia is the Greek word. Certain wiles, certain schemes. And if we watch, we can pretty well begin to tell what those are. So that we do not have to become confused as to where that's coming from. We can know his patterns. He has the same patterns. He has the same sense. And so part of what our warfare is, is to not be ignorant of his schemes. And then last week we learned that we have, when we find those patterns, and when we find the targets that we're about to look at today, we have both offensive and defensive weapons in our arsenal. That God gives us not only armor for defense, but his word, his name, his praise for offensive weapons. And we can destroy those evil things in our lives. Now this week, I want to talk about the strongholds, about the targets for spiritual warfare. After we learn what weapons we have, we have to learn where to point them. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as we speak, we are going to say some things that um, that don't don't nat- uh, they, that are not naturally easy to listen to. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit, even as I speak this morning. And we ask you, Lord, to point out the areas of our lives where there are strongholds so that we can draw a bead and fire, so that we can erase them. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Let me, let me take a few minutes to explain to you what a stronghold is. Let me first read the text for this morning. Starting with verse 3 in the 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And I like the word stronghold better, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. We are destroying speculations or imaginations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, you may say, Hunter, all of this is just about thought. All of this is just uh, so nebulous. It's so unimportant. It doesn't really affect our lives. What really affects our lives are the flesh and blood things. And I would say to you, you're wrong. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and we honor all of the people who have been killed in the wars defending our freedom. Cap, who just got up, is a veteran of the Vietnam War. In Vietnam, 58,000 Americans lost their lives. That's a lot of people. But listen to this statistic. Since Vietnam, over 100,000 Vietnam veterans have killed themselves. The real war is not the war of flesh and blood. The real war is the war of spirit. When we lose in physical battle, that is a horrible thing. And when we are killed in physical battle, that's a horrible thing. But there are so many more people who are killed because of a loss of a spiritual battle. Do you know, if you took all of the people in all of the wars that the world has ever seen, on one side, 
who were killed physically, fighting for a cause. And then you mounted the number of people who have killed themselves because of their own emotional vacuum or have killed each other on the highways because they were drinking, because they, because they were trying to fill a void in their lives, who have killed their wives or husbands because of a spirit of violence or have killed their children in, in utero and, 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 and infant side because of a spirit of convenience. If you took all of those people who have killed each other and killed themselves because of the loss of a spiritual war, the people who have lost their lives in physical battle wouldn't even be a drop in the bucket. I'm telling you, just because it's more subtle and just because it's more unnoticed does not mean it's any less vicious or any less violent. We're talking spiritual warfare. Now, there are places in our lives where Satan grabs a foothold. And it is in these places that we come to destruction. It is not simply, a war is not, is not fought with one battle. A spiritual attack that we may have here or there is not the essence of our vulnerability. The essence of our vulnerability in our lives are the strongholds that Satan has built in our lives. Now, let me define for you biblically what a stronghold is. Stronghold, um, in, in our language, is a, is a pattern of thought or a vacuum or a crevice in our lives that are with us for all of our lives. I mean, the strongholds that we have will always be there. But they are places where Satan can accumulate all of the negative forces of our lives, where we indeed dump all the negative things when we turn our attention away from God. Let me read to you out of the Scripture in 1 Samuel 22... A, a biblical image of a stronghold. And while you're turning to 1 Samuel 22, I will tell you why I like the word stronghold better than I like the word fortress. Fortress conjures up something that is visual and above ground and very attackable. There's a lot of ways that you can take out a fortress, even though it's tough. But a stronghold is usually a cave in a mountainside. It is not something positive, it's something negative. It is an opening where people and forces accumulate for their own defense and where they can run guerrilla warfare out of those headquarters. Now, here is one of our heroes in a stronghold. So David departed from there, says in verse 1, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Now look at who else came. Get the characteristics of this. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And then in verse 4 it says, they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed. Now I want to tell you that in our lives, Satan has those same caves, those same openings. And it may be one, it may be two, it may be three openings. Where 
all of the times that we are distressed, all the times that we become emotionally indebted, all the times that we are discontented, our life starts to gather there. Instead of going to God for strength and cleansing, our life begins to gather in those spots. And we begin then to to funnel our energy toward what is negative and toward what is destructive in our lives. Now, while I'm doing this, I want to give you a picture of how the, the spectrum goes in demonization. Okay? And demonization is simply the building of a stronghold in our lives. That's what demonization is. This is your weekly spectrum. I give you a spectrum every week, don't I? Okay. First is just curiosity. Satan starts out with curiosity. He did it in the, in the, in the, in the garden. Did God say, you know, starts to get him curious. He did it when he, when he attacked Jesus. He kept saying, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. See, always raising doubt. Just wanted them to become curious. There are many things that we get curious about in our lives. I, every once in a while, I, I get curious as to what it would be like to, to take drugs. I've never taken drugs, but I get curious, you know. Passing thought, passing thought. One step over is that you get consistently curious. You know? You get consistently curious. It, it, it crosses your mind more than one time. Then a hole begins to form. Then a stronghold begins to form. You are consistent. You, it goes through your mind. One step over is temptation. You start to see yourself. And you start to be drawn toward it. And you start to think, oh, you know, I, I kind of have... And, and, and thinking maybe I will. One step over is consistent temptation. You are consistently thinking, you know, I, I really, I'm really getting drawn toward this. You know, I'm just really curious. I'm really wondering. And I'm, see. Now, if you don't fall here, if you don't, if you don't give in here, it will be a wonder. You know, really will be a wonder. But one step over from here is bondage. You become obsessed periodically with the idea. When it comes, you nurse it. When it comes, you start to give yourself to it. Whatever that idea is. Don't get hung up on drugs. It can be anything that you really like to think about. And it becomes an obsession with you. And when it becomes a continual obsession with you, when you are giving yourself to that with great regularity, you are in bondage to that thing. You are in full, flat-out bondage. And you are, uh, to every degree, oppressed. Now, there's one step over that few Christians ever take, and that is possession itself. You can't be, literally, without your will, if you belong to Christ, possessed by Satan. Because you are God's. Possession connotes ownership, and, and you belong to God if you are in Jesus Christ. So therefore, without your will, you cannot be possessed. You cannot, you cannot, uh, Satan cannot make you do things unless you let him. But one step over here, bondage, continual bondage, is every bit as bad as possession because you are giving yourself to it, you see? So that is the spectrum of demonization, and that's basically how it happens. That's how it progresses, now, when you have these strongholds in your life that you retreat into or that you go into, what happens is that they begin to make you sick unto death. There was a man in this congregation a couple of years ago 
who had cancer. He has since died. And I went to see him in the hospital. <clears throat> and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Joel, it's the funniest thing. The doctor says that my cancer is accumulating at all of my old athletic injuries. There's something about those injuries that have become vulnerable so that that is where the cancer hides out. That's a perfect definition of a stronghold in your life. If you have past injuries, if you have fallen in some places, then they become, for the rest of your life, continual weak spots. I was playing basketball one time. My first mistake was ever to try to play basketball. I was playing basketball one time. And I fell off the court, and my ankle went like that, and it just went like that. <clears throat> I have had to continually watch that ankle while I'm running because it, w it is forever weak. It is weaker than the other ankle. That's a stronghold. That's a physical stronghold, you see. Not in a spiritual sense, of course, but that just is illustrative of how a stronghold continues to be a weakness in, in our lives. Now, Satan gets those, and he keeps us disoriented from them. They are patterns of thought that we do not submit to God. They are ways of thinking that we do not bring back to God. And so we become disoriented in our lives. He takes our guidance system away from God. I don't know how many of you read the paper yesterday, but Beverly Dayton had a great article in there on the, uh, on the editorial page. She mourned the death of the nation, national guidance system here. She said she had a dream um, that... Uh, she was asleep, and uh, I mean, she had, a, she had a dream while she was asleep that she was in Maine, and she was out and walking. It was peaceful, and it was secure, and so on and so forth, and woke up and, re and realized she would never be able to feel that secure in this nation again because we have given up our common sense of morality. We have given up our common sense of guidance and security and respect for one another and so on and so forth. It was a terrible blow to her. Well, that's what a stronghold is, see? We lose our guidance system. We take things back from God. Now let me tell you how um, strongholds can get in your life and where you may get them from. And your job this week is to search for the strongholds in your life, to find those strongholds in your life. Very, very important. Okay, let me tell you several ways they may come into your life. First of all, they may come in just from an inner thing that you've never taken care of. You may have a pattern of sin in your life, or you may have dabbled in some sort of spiritual occult stuff in your life that when you became a Christian was not addressed. Now you say, well, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, what? Old things have passed away, and new things have come. Let me say to you that that is how you appear to God. That is your imputed righteousness. And that is now the power that you have for personal reformation. But it does not take care of those things you have not addressed in your life. Do you know what happened? When, 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 it used to be in the early church that when people were baptized, they were not first of all baptized in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. They had to renounce the works of the devil in their life. They would turn toward the west while they were in the pool. They would turn toward the west and they would literally say, I renounce the devil and his workings in my life. And then he may, they may name a few of them. And then, because they were turning toward the west, the place where the sun goes down, the symbol of darkness, they'd spit. They'd spit at the devil. 
then they would turn to be baptized. Well, you know what? When we become a Christian, we say, well, everything's taken care of. Everything's out of there. You know? Not at all. One after another, you have to discover what things you have carried into your spiritual life. They may be dabbling in, uh, in, uh, in the occult before, just out of curiosity, just out of a lark, you were at college or whatever. You need to repudiate that. You need to renounce that. More likely, they are sin habits that you have carried into your Christianity and God hasn't had access to those yet. You need to open those up for Him so that those will not pull you down as you try to get closer to Christ. That's exactly the first place Satan goes. That's where the cancer accumulates. Let me tell you another place they can come from. They can come from desires, natural, normal desires, we have in our lives that have become ambitions in our lives. Of course, the natural one to think about for men is lust. We have a natural, normal, and so do women, we have a natural, normal sex drive. God gave it to us as a gift. Unfortunately, our hormones are indiscriminate. And they're always indiscriminate. And therefore, there is a great deal of focus that needs to happen when God gives us a mate. For the men, and I know this, the statistic I heard was 84% of Christian men have a recurring problem with lust. Now, lust is the ambition that came out of a normal desire. It is the projection of what could happen, the fantasy of what might happen that comes out of a normal desire. That comes from within us, you see. And Satan uses that. Every time we get frustrated, every time we get bored, every time we get tired, we start thinking of these fantasies, you see. It's a stronghold in our life. We can be taken down by them as we travel along this progression. If we do not take care of that, if we do not renounce that, if we do not get that cleaned out, we will travel along this progression. Um, acceptance is something that everybody wants, isn't it? I mean, all of us want to be loved. All of us. And that's why God's love is so important. His unconditional acceptance and grace for our lives is the answer to that need. But yet, we take that normal need that we have and we project it into an ambition to have everybody like us. You know, I'll just feel better if I can get everybody to tell me that I'm okay. And so popularity becomes a stronghold in our lives. We want people to tell us we're okay. So therefore, Satan has a little leash on us. Because when we begin to do what God wants us to do, we are afraid of being unpopular or corny or anything else, see? And Satan just jerks us back. They won't respect you. They won't like you. They'll think you're corny. And that's enough for us, see? There's a stronghold there. There's a stronghold. Plus, most people who have that particular stronghold spend all of their life frustrated because there's always one or two people they can never please. And those are the ones they concentrate on. It's a horrible stronghold for many, many, many people in this world. And Satan gets us totally distracted. Because when we're, whenever we're frustrated, we go out and try and please somebody else, see? To get approval. Instead of focusing on what God wants us to do. Terrible stronghold. So on and so forth. I can go on from there. 
All right? Another way that we get strongholds in our lives are from transference. Sometimes when we don't even, when we don't even realize it. Generational transference, by the way, is a big way that we get a stronghold in our life, or Satan has access to a stronghold in our life. There can be a sin visited, Exodus 20, verse 5, from generation unto generation. It can be passed down. That sin can be passed down. Um, now, you can say, well, we're talking biochemical here because, it, because maybe uh, if there's an aggressive tendency, that's an extra X chromosome on something or other. Fine. Talk biochemical. Well, you're talking really in the psychological world uh, because uh, they've had the role model and therefore they have the propensity to sin just as their parents taught them how to sin and what to sin about. Fine. Talk about that. That's, that is, those are two perfectly legitimate generational vulnerabilities. However, you and I both know that there is a spirit that is passed on from generation to generation. If you can think, let me give you just two examples. When I was uh, growing up, two of the families that were real noticeable in our community, one had a spirit of rebellion. Now, I'm not just talking, I mean, the grandfather was ornery, the dad was ornery, the boys were ornery. I'm not just talking ornery, though. I'm talking any form of authority drove them crazy. There was hate and aggression. Every time someone in authority made a mistake, there was great joy, great celebration. There was a vehemence to that rebellion that you couldn't imagine. And you know what? I knew these boys. And they hated themselves for it. They would would, um, um, tag every teacher. They would uh, deface every school. They would would play horrible uh, jokes on the principals and so on and so forth. And all the while, they were inside. Part of them was feeling bad about that. But they couldn't get themselves to stop. Now, that's not just a model. That's not just a... That is a spirit. We had another family that had passed on a spirit of laziness. I mean ease, escapism. Now, there comes a point in what... You know, all of us are lazy, basically. I'm basically lazy. You're probably basically lazy. Some of us are a little bit more driven than others, but underneath, all of us would like to take a nap. (laughs) However... Those of you who do not have a spirit of laziness know that really life is easier by taking responsibility because there becomes an accumulated indebtedness to life. And it becomes actually tougher to live in laziness and ease than it does to actually do the job, see? I watched these people in absolute misery. They would just lay down. Literally lay down. Every time they had a responsibility, they would lay down from the kids in school. You know, they'd, they'd keep going out to the clinic and they would come home and they'd lay down and they'd watch TV for a while and they had all of this stuff to do and go and they would flunk year after year. They hated it. They absolutely hated it. The parents would, would dodge bill collectors and so on and so forth. It is not that they had any less capability than anybody else. It is not that they loved their life or that they were really getting any relaxation in life. But the fact was there was something in them that would not 
let them work. They were oppressed. These people were, were oppressed. And they hated it. But they just couldn't get their backsides up out of the chair. That was its tr- and, and life was so much tougher by, being, by having that spirit. So you see, there, there are things that can be passed from generation to generation. One of the things I want you to ask yourself is, what have I seen in my past that actually could be in my life right now as a stronghold uh, that I want to break with this generation? I do not want to pass it to my children. I want to get it out of my life. I want to fix it. I want to get it out of my life. Okay? That's another way that you can have strongholds in your life. Um, and, and there are different different things that can come out, come on you from the outside, too, as well as being passed from the inside. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has, what? Overtaken you, see? that That's not something that comes up from the inside. That's something that's passed from the outside. And they keep talking about patterns in the world, you know? Poor old Demas, it says. Demas left us because he loved this present world. That was from the outside. He saw something in the world he wanted from the outside. And so there are there are spirits of... Uh, of uh, again, um, I've, I've projected one popularity. Uh, you want to fit in with the friend. How many of your kids have been hurt because they thought they had a friend, and that friend had at a point in time access to a more popular group, and so those kids went to that popular group, and then there your kid is standing all alone. See, not included. That is a temptation, isn't it, for our kids? That's a temptation for us. And if you let that go in your life, what will happen when that kid transfers groups is when they get older and they get married, they'll find a more popular spouse. They'll find a more popular work. They'll find a more... See? That just that gets in you there. So it comes in from the world. There are also spirits of fear and intimidation. I heard a neat story one time about a, about a, uh, a guy who'd conquered that. His name was John Payton. He was a... Um, uh, Missionary with the cannibals for 30 years, and about two years into it, he was he was he had a garden, and he was raising corn or whatever, and he was out weeding that garden one day, and somebody was with him, and this fierce-looking cannibal comes out of the jungle, and just comes down a row and and gets a, out an arrow and draws a bead on Peyton as he's bending over weeding weeding the thing, and he just looks up, looks at the cannibal, goes on. And the guy stands there for two minutes. Finally, he uncocks the bow and goes off into the jungle again. The guy standing with him is absolutely flabbergasted. He's so frightened he can't even talk while he's stand- while the Indian was standing there just going like this. So he looks at Peyton. He said, did you see that? And Peyton said, yeah, I saw it. He said, well, what did you think? And Peyton said, well, I thought, well, if this is my time to go, it's my time to go. If not, I better weed this garden. See, he conquered that, that spirit of intimidation, see? And that's what God wants us to do. Now, let me go, let me go on and, and finish here. I, there, are, there are a few things that I want you to know about what to do with those targets, all right? When you, when you center in on those targets in your life, to clean those targets out, it's going to be work. It's going to be work. But I want you to remember that you have all of the things that are necessary in warfare. You have the fuel. The fuel is prayer, by the way. Remember the illustration last week? You have the fuel. You will not run out of gas as long as you can pray. Pray without ceasing, says in 1 Thessalonians. Second, you have 
the repair that you need. People in warfare need repair. We get broken. Our stuff gets broken. You have the repair you need. In Hebrews 10 it says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We are the repair. We, when we're sensitive to one another. If you, if you need repair, if you're a broken person, get a home group. That's what those things are for. To encourage us, see? To loving good deeds. To stir us up to loving good deeds. That's a repair work that we need. You need someone else to help you with that. You have the ammunition. The Word of God is the ammunition. There is nothing in this world that cannot be healed with, by, by applying the Word of God. I mean, that's, that is so important. And you, please read it. You don't have to quote it exactly. Did you ever read how Jesus quoted Scripture uh, when he faced, this, faced Satan? One of those Scriptures, he didn't quote right. You know what that proves? Proves he's never been through a 2-7 course, doesn't it? He didn't. He, he missed out on that, and he regrets it, I'm sure. We kid about navigators here. Navigators, you know, we all, several of us have been through that and have had to memorize things word for word. But, but uh, the fact is, Jesus got the spirit of the Scripture right. You don't have to quote it word for word. If you stand on what the Scripture says, you will be victorious in that. And then instruction. First Colossians, or I mean Colossians 1.28 says, We must be instructed in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect. So that those are the things that you need for warfare. Now let me give you four general general uh, um, rules of warfare. And then, I, then, then we can take off. Number one, war is not play. War is not a game. War is war. When you are attacked, when there is a stronghold in your life, perseverance is never a primary virtue in war. For every battle you have, you need to put everything you have into it so that you can win it as soon as possible. The, 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 the goal of war is not to last. The goal of war is to win. And so, therefore, don't mess around. When I was a little boy, I grew up without a daddy. My mom weighed about 90 pounds, soaking wet. She wasn't any good. I mean, as far as fighting goes. She's a wonderful person, but you know how boys get bullied and all that kind of stuff. Well, you couldn't say, well, well my mom gets here, you know. You know, or my, my mom can beat up your dad. She can, you know. A boy, ne- boy needed a, you know, dad to kind of teach him, you know. Well, I never had that. But I remember my mom saying, Joey, don't ever start a fight. There are much better ways to spend your life. Much better ways to solve problems. But Joey, if anybody attacks you, I want you to go wild on him. I don't want you to stop swinging until there's no one there to swing on. My mom's advice was war counsel. That's my advice to you. If Satan's in your life, don't be polite. If Satan attacks you, you swing with everything, not you have, but God has. You swing in the name of Christ. You swing Scripture. You swing praise. You... You do everything you can to get him totally out of that area of your life. No quarter given, none taken. You remember that. This is war. This is not a game. Because if you don't, he'll come back seven times worse, won't he? 
It's very, very important. Number two, remember in war to think ahead so that you don't have to think during. Think ahead so that you don't have to think during. It is so difficult to think during temptation. You know why? Because we think with our desires. We don't think with our mind. We don't think with our spirit. We think with our desires. You look at the at the at, at uh, Genesis three six, and Eve said, "Well, it said about Eve. Well, she saw that that the tree was good for food, and it was the delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise." She wasn't thinking with her mind. She wasn't thinking what the Lord said to her. She was thinking with her desires. So therefore. We need to be trained and think before we ever get into those situations. You know what your weaknesses are, and I know what mine are. And I need to be trained in those weaknesses. You know, I told you last week, I have a couple of boys that wrestle. And one of the best things that they can do at this stage in their wrestling is to remember to think during the matches. To think during the matches. But if they ever get really good, they won't have to think during the matches. It'll be reaction. When some kid does something to them, they'll know immediately without thinking what to do. That's the way it needs to be in spiritual warfare. If you are to be effective in spiritual warfare, it will be because you have gone over it and over it and over it again. If I get into this situation, I'm going to recognize it immediately and I'm going to do this. And I'm not going to stand there and think about it. Okay? So think before so you don't have to think during Fourth, very important to remember that if you can't get something taken care of all at once with all the massive firepower, to remember the advantage of defense as well as offense. Remember Christ went away to be alone and then he'd come down and he'd pour out his ministry. And then he went away to be fed and then he'd go out and pour out his ministry. Remember, remember Elijah, how he went... And he, he spent all of his energy on those prophets of Baal, like 400 prophets of Baal. And then one little old woman came after him, Jezebel, and he was scared to death. Why? Because he entirely spent his energy. And he didn't realize that you have to rest. You have to be fed. And so therefore, respect those rhythms in your spiritual life. And if you are wearing out in that battle, you pull back into the fellowship and you get fed and you rest so that you can go out into the battle again. Don't stay out there where the temptation is. Get off the battlefield. Get away from the battle. Fourth, remember this about war. The objective of war is to impose your point of view on the enemy. That is the objective of war. It's not to live in peaceful coexistence. That's not the objective of war. The objective of war is to fight all of those imaginations and bring every one of them captive to Christ. Captive to Christ. So therefore, please realize that you are to impose the will of Christ on the evil in your life. Now remember, you do not fight people. Your, your objective is not to impose your will on people because our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But when it comes right down to it, all of this nice, democratic, goofy, peace language that we have doesn't apply to spiritual warfare. You get your cock cleaned if you try to live in peaceful coexistence with Satan. If you give Satan a corner of your life, 
man, you just might as well draw concentric circles on yourself because he will knock you off. So therefore, remember, the objective of war is to impose your will, that is the will of of your Heavenly Father, on the opponent, on Satan. Don't rest until that's done. Now, let's pray. Lord, there are many ways that Satan has gained access to our lives. All of us have different temptations. Many of us have temptations in common, and then many of us have secret lives that no one else knows about or could even, could even name. All of those are accumulation places for demonization and oppression in our lives. All of those are places where Satan mounts his forces for our destruction, for our impairment. Therefore, would you please, during this coming week, point out to us, as we go through a normal week, where we take our retreats, if it's other than you, into our fantasy life. Come, Lord, and point it out to us with your Holy Spirit. Convict us and say, that's not me. That doesn't glorify me. That dream is not toward me. That is a stronghold. And someday that appetite will destroy you. Tell us, Lord, and help us to clean them out and to bring every thought captive to you. Not to make every thought of you, but to bring those things, those varieties of our lives to ways in which they can glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.